I think these two are working very well together to maintain momentum and I think increase momentum for the future. So uh, if you haven't signed up to volunteer in our, uh, our children's ministries, uh, it's a great time. It's a great season and there's going to be some great things happening in that area. We recognize that that is one of the engines really of our church. It's one of the key things. Even this morning's dedication this morning shows us that uh, this is not the time to slack off. This is the time to pick up the pace. Uh, there's, there's kids, I mean, boy, the amount of kids that keep getting uh, born, I guess is what you say, <laughs> into this church is remarkable. And so it's the time for us to, to really continue and make that, continue to make that a major focus. And it's been a strength for us but I think that it is going to be even a greater strength in the days to come. So just throw that out there as a teaser for future things. But we really are excited about uh, the way that God has allowed us to have such a smooth transition here in this area. If you want to talk to someone about May and June, talk to Renee because she's going to continue to be holding the fort here until June. If you want to talk about future things, like September and beyond for sure, then uh, get talking to Laura, and uh, she'll probably be talking to you if you don't talk to her because she's all excited about uh, the, the new things that are coming. All right. Hey, well, it's, um, it's the final message in our happy series. So we did a three-week happy series. Then we took a, a break on Mother's Day, which was a really great idea because Mother's Day, we had this incredible panel of, of mothers who sort of blew our minds with such good stuff. And then now we're back, and this is the very last sermon or message in this four-week series. So we're going through the book of Philippians. So it's got four chapters, so we thought we'd just divvy it out one chapter every week. And I, I spoke on the first week, and then uh, Doug Sigelko, he spoke on the second week. Dave Moore spoke on the third week. And now I'm just going to bring it all to a close here. Um, I've really enjoyed this series now, one of the things I've enjoyed is how much you've engaged in it. Lots of you have sent in happy pictures, and we've shown different happy pictures every week, and I've got another group of happy pictures for you this morning. So this is the Shiresky family. It's a collage of pictures, and you might notice one common denominator in all of them. What is it? Jumping, yes. So uh, Dean informs me that they have been taking jumping pictures for nine years now as a family, and uh, so they have all sorts of jumping pictures. I was a little concerned that Paula didn't survive the one jumping picture, um, but I, I saw her, so I, it's all good. She's fine. Don't worry. Um, but yeah, so they've been taking jumping pictures. Now this is Doug. Um, Doug is, again, you know Doug as one of the pastors here, but he also is in charge of our whole facility, and Doug just got a new toy, and it's a little vacuum, and I tell you, this thing makes him happy, because... <laughs> We're all like sitting in our offices and we're like studying and zoned in and he'll walk up into your office and he'll just go, because it sounds like a drill, right? And he goes, and she's picking up the minuscule piece of lint. He goes, and you just jump out of your chair. And that in a perverse way makes him happy. <laughs> all right, let's see the next one. Okay, this is the McNaughton boys about seven years ago. And I was laughing when I first saw it because I realized that when you have three boys... Getting a picture of them is a rare occasion, and getting a picture where they're all together, happy, only happens every seven years. So uh, the McNaughtons testify that there was a happy day seven years ago, and they were all happy. These are, today we dedicated these two, okay, Emma and Eliana, right? And this is, uh, so Emma's the older one, if I sometimes get these mixed up, but I'm pretty sure Emma's the older one. This is her first time holding her sister. 
and obviously she's delirious. <laughs> Pretty excited about that. Okay? Okay, Erica McNaughton sent me this one, and uh, yeah, I, it's hard to picture a more happy picture, but uh, it's funny, when I sit in those, I don't feel quite as much joy. <laughs> okay, and here's uh, Jeff and Chelsea Lewis's three kids, they're down in the States, and there's a, uh, I, th I think this is at Lake Havasu where they like to go, and a big balloon uh, extravaganza there, and they're having a great time, and then Jeff and Chelsea and I think they're on the boat in the desert. Boats in the desert. And who knew? Anyhow, sunshine vacations sometimes add to our happiness. And then, uh, of course, we've got Zuri and her dad. And Zuri looks like she's slapping her knee and saying, good one, dad. <laughs> Anyhow, they're very happy. And I think that's it. All right. Thank you so much for sending all your happy pictures. Uh, we really enjoyed seeing them, and they brought us a few laughs in the office as we've seen uh, some of the, the neat, happy moments. I want to share with you out of Philippians chapter 4. This is the last chapter in Philippians. And 4 and verse 4, I uh, didn't bring a, a bench Bible with me. Someone want to call out the page number when you get to it? Philippians 4 verse, what's that? 955? Did I get that right? 955? Great, thank you, Wanda. All right, 955 it is. Okay, so if you get to 955, you should be in the right spot. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4. And uh, yeah, please do read along whether you're, you're skimming along with your phone or whether you're using the, the bench Bible in front of you. It's just really, we're going to stick to a very short passage of Scripture this morning so you can read it over and over. And this is one of the most beloved passages of Scripture in the entire Bible. And uh, we'll talk more about those sorts of things in, in weeks to come. But just take it from me. These are people's favorite verses. Okay? So let me just read to you, to, uh, starting with verse 4. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So I want to focus on just a few words in this very beginning line. First, it says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And this shows up a few different times in Philippians. Philippians is a letter written by a, a prisoner. So it's a, it's a Christian leader whose name is Paul. He's in prison. Some pe people say they feel he was in prison for two full years. Okay, so here's a guy in prison writing a letter. And you'd think a guy in prison who's under the threat of death, who's facing incredible opposition for his faith, uh, would be the last guy to write a happy letter. Right? He'd write about injustice, like Martin Luther King Jr. did in prison, or he'd write about, you know, stand firm in the cause, like, you know, in South Africa, some of the letters that came from prison there. And, you know, just some of these, you know, we've had leaders in prison throughout the history, and most of those letters are, you know, about fight, the good fight and all that. And there's some of that in this letter too. But you know what? 
he writes mostly, you'll see, well, not mostly, but you'll see lots of things in there where he's just saying, I am full of joy. I am full of joy. I'm just so deeply, I mean, we've been using the word happy and joy. And, and last week, Dave Moore gave a, a really good difference for the, for the two. Because happiness, he said, is, is often from external sources. So winning the lottery would be, make you happy. Or getting a new car. He talked about, I thought that was a great illustration. He said, you buy a new car, you're driving off the lot, you feel euphorically happy. And then someone T-bones you at the next intersection and it's all gone. The happy is gone. And your car is sort of toast too. And so something from external sources is happiness. But he said, said, joy is different. Joy often comes in from internally because something at the bedrock of who you are, of of what you understand and believe is elevating you, is, is bringing... So you might feel happy, but you know it's from a deeper place. It's not fleeting. It's not something that could be taken away easily. So rejoice in the Lord, always. I'll say it again, rejoice. So what does it mean to rejoice? What, I mean, this is a word, I, th- I think the French, I looked up the word meaning and history, and the French had some input into this English word, but uh, basically, smile, laugh, celebrate, party, breathe out with satisfaction, dance crazy with a lampshade on your head, sit still with contentment. It basically, rejoice means reflect on a source of joy in your life, and then do whatever comes naturally. Rejoice. Party. It's great. Isn't this awesome? So whether you're celebrating family and friends or a great accomplishment in your life or that it's Friday or whatever, rejoice. So it's pretty straightforward. So far, everybody's like, got that, in that, want that, desire more of that. Rejoice in the Lord. That's the second thing he says. Now, let me talk about this from a different perspective first, and then we'll jump back into the wording. Uh, There once was, uh, well, not once was, he's still alive. John Maxwell is a big um, motivational speaker, speaks to leaders, does a lot of leadership material and books and videos. Has anyone ever heard of John Maxwell? I'm curious. Oh, my goodness, actually, a lot more than I thought. Anyhow, John Maxwell has made a name for himself in in areas of leadership. And so he was doing this huge conference to... uh, hundreds or maybe thousands of leaders and it was sort of like the pinnacle or, or apex of his career as a, as a speaker and uh, when it was all done they had sort of an interview Q&A time and they allowed him and maybe some of his team and his wife on this panel to come up and they reporters and, and different leaders were asking them questions and uh, so they asked him lots of questions and again he keeps wowing them with all of his insight and understanding that he's gleaned along the years and then at a certain point one of the, the question askers turns to his wife and says does John make you happy and she says no now you can only imagine that you know all you got is either gasps or silence at that point right it's like what and then she explains she says if I wasn't happy before I met John there's nothing he could do to make me happy If I wasn't already happy on my own, there's no way he could come into my world and make me happy from the external. Now, I think she's on to something. 
Now, the thing about John Maxwell that he often keeps hidden in his seminars is the guy, is a, he's a Christian, a follower of Jesus. Actually, some people will press him at the end of his seminars. Where did you get all this brilliant stuff? And he'll say, actually, I got it from the Bible. <laughs> Everybody's like, what? Didn't see that coming. But it actually makes a lot of sense. You know what? There's a lot of things in the business world that I read, I read leadership books. I take leadership classes out at Briarcrest. And there's lots of you know, books not written by people who are Christians who are basically, like Doug said, pointed out a few weeks ago, they're regurgitating truths that are in the Bible, repackaging them, and making a lot of money by selling these books. And, uh, like, for example, like, you think about the North American value in our restaurants, that you always, you know, you know, serve the customer ahead of yourself, value the customer, the customer's always right. You know, you could have just gone to Philippians 2 and read what it says about put other people ahead of yourself. When they took McDonald's, to the Soviet Union, they had a hard, hard time training their first employees because they were used to a very different environment. They weren't used to serving the customer first or valuing the customer. The customer's always right. Are you kidding? This is the USSR. And so those first employees, they had to just work on and work on and work on to train them up to a level that most 15-year-old kids in Canada were at in the area of customer service because this wasn't a part of their culture. Of course, they they tried to eliminate for decades uh, the things that were taught in Scripture. They tried to sort of suppress the church. didn't always work. Sometimes the church flourished under that. But it shouldn't surprise us when we uh, suddenly see, I've been reading books on a strength-based organization, making your organization strengths-based. So uh, I have strengths. And I have weaknesses, you have strengths and your weaknesses. Let your strength cover my weakness and my strength cover your weakness. Let's get a team that complements each other so that we can all operate in our strengths and we really run good as a team. Or I could have just read Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 about how the body of Christ is meant to work together and we all have gifts and ability. Again, you read it in a book by a guy from Harvard or a guy from uh, Wall Street and it seems brilliant and then you go, oh, wait a second, that was already here in the Bible. Rejoice in the Lord. Okay, so we use it. We saw about John Maxwell's wife. She said that nothing can make me happy. Or John can't make me happy if I'm not happy first. Now, she's a believer. She obviously understands the source of deep joy is in the Lord. You know, when we're looking at pictures here, we're looking at lots of good things. Actually, I did have one picture I didn't get up there. I don't know how it didn't get up there because uh, I wanted to comment on it. it. Maybe we'll show it someday, but there's, I don't know how I I had a picture of Doug Mockmer with a big fish, and I really wanted to show it, but somehow I goofed on my computer. It didn't get up there. But uh, I, I was going to comment on that and say, you know, when you're holding a big fish, what you're thinking inside your head is, I am the big fish. <laughs> you think, it, it makes you happy from an external source. Though, none of those things are bad. Those things that we're celebrating, family and fun and swinging on a swing and, uh, and having a new family member in your arms and all these things, these are all wonderful things. But I would present to you today that you'll be a lot happier or deeply joyful in your life if you understand where these things fit. And by that, that you understand that some of these things that we cling to and we say, this is the source of my joy, that they are removable. 
Now, I don't want a big, big wet blanket and bring a downer on you today, but realizing that some of the things that we cling to when we say, man, with this person, this relationship, this achievement, this, this career advancement, this thing in my life, I'm going to be happy going forward. No doubt about it. And yet, we don't realize how fragile and how um, easily taken away those things are. In in the book of Hebrews, this is another part of the New Testament, uh, there's some verses that sort of bring a dose of reality to, to all of us. And this is what it says in Hebrews 12, 26. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised. And again, it's, it's talking about, it's a long passage about, uh, a lot of different things, encountering God and God's grace, but God's power and, and coming to God with reverence and awe, but yet at the same time, uh, you know, receiving his love and leadership. Long stuff. But I'll just get into this verse, which I, which I think is really helpful. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken. What can be shaken? Well, it says that is created things so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. So why would I point you to rejoicing in the Lord like Paul pointed the people he was writing to out of his prison cell? Well, because... He'd experienced this shaking. See, when the shaking happens in your life, some of the things that you think are bolted down, they're, they're cemented in, they're reinforced with rebar, suddenly come loose. And when they come loose, when, when, when a relationship that you depended on suddenly falls through, when a business you thought was prospering suddenly comes to a screeching halt, when suddenly you get stopped in your education plans or your, or your plans for marriage or your plans for having kids, and you were pretty much counting on that to be a source of future joy, when everything that's shakable comes loose, what remains is what's unshakable. And the different parts of the Bible keep reminding us again and again that the thing that's unshakable is relationship with God. It's the thing that cannot be taken away. So Paul writes from prison, and he says, in, in chapter 1, he says some pretty remarkable things. He says, basically, I'm rejoicing here in prison because I'm living for God. And because I'm living for God, there's certain things that can't be shaken. They can't be taken away. They can't be removed. Like the mission I'm on, telling people about Jesus, can't be taken away, even in chains. Even in chains. So they they chained me up so I can't go tell people about Jesus, but you can't believe how many soldiers I've told about Jesus. Paul writes and he says, I'm rejoicing. Not that I'm having a good time in prison, not that there isn't hardship, not that it isn't difficult. But the bedrock source of joy in my life cannot be removed. And so, I'm having an experience in prison that's very different from other people in prison. Same beatings, same afflictions, same diseases, different outlook. Because of my source of joy. Rejoice in the Lord. See, 
This next phrase, I'll, I'll just skip ahead a little bit here for us, but uh, this next, the next phrase goes on to talk about a real thing that we, a lot of us, or I think all of us, deal with it a great deal, and that's anxiety. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. I was having coffee with a friend, and he's, he's not a follower of Jesus. Uh, he, we've talked about church and stuff like that, but he hasn't decided to go to church. Or, 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 and, and he's sort of just, I think, has some basic awareness of what being a Christian is, but is not very... I don't think it's very thorough. Anyhow, it's all great. We have a great relationship, and I, probably every month I have a coffee with him. And the, and the other day, we were having coffee, and he was talking about his aches and pains from work. And he's like, man, I'm not as young as I used to be. When you get to my age, you'll know what I'm talking about. Now, the thing is, I never told him how old I was. He's in his mid-30s. So I thought this was the time to sort of come clean. And I said, I, I think you're making an assumption on how young I am. And then I told him how old I was. And his response was gold. He said, well, that's what prayer does for you. <laughs> I thought, you know, you're partly right. Now, I'm not talking about the genetics I got from my mom and dad. I'm not talking about, you know, whether I have good healthy habits or not. I'm talking about the fact that Prayer plays a significant role in reducing anxiety in our lives. A very significant role. In fact, it, it, it plays a vital role in making this exchange that happens in these verses. It, talks, it says, do not be anxious about anything. And we know our own tendency. We can be anxious about lots of things. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, that sort of helps temper it, present your request to God. And here's the result. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So what's the key? What's the key to going from being anxious to peaceful? He says, well, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And that's where Doug and I were laughing because we both watched the same CBC special on TV, right? And they were talking about the pursuit of happiness. And, and then this, again, another speaker, motivational guy, making tons of money off his mantra to get people to be happy. And I can't, Doug, you might have to correct me. He said, be grateful for three things and then meditate two minutes a day. And then the last one was encourage someone or something. Yeah which he could have took out of Philippians. <laughs> so, yeah, he'll get rich. It's great. Anyhow, <laughs> but that was what he, so he goes on and has these massive seminars. He works in the business world. They send all their employees together and he teaches those, them those three things. Hey, be grateful. Thankfulness. We just read that. Hey, meditate twice a day. Or you could pray. We just read that. Or, hey, how would you be grateful? Well, Philippians is full of Paul saying, I love you guys. I love you guys. I love our relationship. I love our partnership. I love how we work together for the same goals. And, and, and I miss you so desperately. Encouragement. But here we're talking about something more than just the results that the, the motivational speaker was talking about. We're talking about the peace of God guarding your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
not just sort of amping up the level of happiness because you've chosen a positive outlook. We're talking about engaging with, with God as a person. And that that engagement with God as a person actually reduces the anxiety in your life and brings peace. This is how one author said it. He said, Paul promises that a life of faithful, Christ-dependent, Christ-exalting prayer will be a life protected from anxiety and its many sinful fruits by God's peace. I think of David's lifestyle in the Old Testament. Here, he's the guy, you know, a lot of the songs in the Bible are written by David. So there's a book of songs called Psalms. I know that's confusing. Songs, Psalms. But anyhow, in that book, there's all these different songs written. So it's great. You know, it's just like if you, if you like song lyrics, read Psalms. It's full of song lyrics. Ancient songs, but really cool songs. And it's very heartfelt, raw emotions where he comes up. Like some of his prayer slash songs go like this. They're like, God, you know all the enemies around me? I want you to kill them. Have you ever started a prayer like that? <laughs> David did. It's in the Bible. I think it's acceptable to begin there. I don't think God is scared of your emotions. I don't think he's threatened in any way. Oh, don't say that. Oh, I'm a little nervous around you. You're so volatile. <laughs> I think it's totally okay to begin there. God, I want you to obliterate these people. I want you to kill them and their families and everything. He's a mess. He's a train wreck, just like we are lots of times. So here's this train wreck of a guy, and he starts out praying, bringing his prayers and petitions to God, not terribly thankful at the beginning. And he goes, God, I just, these people, I, they're killing me. They're destroying my life, and I want them dead. And then as he continues to pray, this is the cool thing about the Psalms, as he continues to pray, he gets more and more focused on God, he's re- and he begins to think about what God's doing in his life, and he calms right down, and at the end he's like, God, you're awesome. Thank you. From anxiety to peace. You want to see how you could pray? How you could go from one to the other? Read the Psalms. That's what God has planned for your life. Actually, he's made you to tick like that. Prayer is an incredible, incredible antidote for anxiety. So rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Let me just move back. Actually, I'm going to get to always in a sec. Let me just delve back into what I said before. Uh, What is your source of joy? You know, we talk about having your source of joy being relationship with God. Rejoice in the Lord. But I think it's great to have just a checkup like this and ask yourself honestly what your source of joy is. Because I think we're always, move, we're always changing. And there's things that are rising and, and, and diminishing in value in our lives. Some of the things, if you're like my age, some of the things you cared desperately about in grade 8, you don't care about as much anymore. Amazing. Because it was really important in grade 8 for those things to come to pass. And now, yeah, you can't even imagine that you cared about them so much. Some of those things still might have value for you. But things are always changing. Things are always changing. I see that in the lives of my friends. Uh, relationally with God, I see people who are like pursuing God in, more, in greater and greater ways. That they're sort of, 
in a way, falling in love, I guess you could say, with God in a greater way. It's just they speak about him more. They, they're excited about him more. There's just some, there's new realities that they're getting. And then I see other people where other things are starting to be elevated. I always, I always get a little cautious when people come and they're like, this is the greatest, latest, wonderful thing. And it's like the answer to the whole world. And um, maybe it's because I've heard that same spiel about a lot of different things. And so when I come to that point, I sort of step back and go, okay. I'm glad you're enthusiastic about it. I'm glad you're excited about that. But I also want to know how that affects the rest of your values. So if you say, I'm really excited about this area in my life, I'm saying, well, how does that affect these other areas of your life? So if you're really excited about, let's say, business, your business proposal, your business plan, well, how's that going to affect you, the value you put on your family? Right? Or, or if you're really, you say, man, it, it, it's all about family. I do anything for family. You know, if my kids cry, I won't send them to school. I'll just stay home. Well, how's that going to affect your business? You know, I want to know both, right? I want to know how these values are rising and these ones are lowering and if it's happening in a healthy way. Well, I've seen where people who uh, were passionate about God, and that was very real in their life. There's no doubt about it. it unmistakably real. And yet, they there's something else that grew in their heart and became more valuable over time. So it was like they replaced the bedrock of rejoicing in God and, and, and drawing a deep satisfaction from relationship with him to this other thing. And so they traded the unshakable for something that's shakable. When I watch that happening, I wonder if there's a train wreck coming. I wonder, and I, and I, I don't want it for anybody, you know, sometimes you might think, well, let's just pray that that gets destroyed in their lives so they come running back to God. Well, I don't really want anyone to be destroyed or the, all their joy to evaporate or anything like that. But, I, but when I see them hanging on to something that's not this removable, that in a moment could be taken, then I feel they're in a dangerous place. They're not, they're not safe. They're standing on something that isn't solid. So how about you? What's your source of joy? Is it shakable? Is it removable? And Paul said when he had all this joy in prison, he talked about three areas in, in, in chapter 1. He, talk, he talked about his joy was uh, prison proof. So let me ask you that. That's a good filter. I don't know if many of you have been to prison, but maybe some of you have and, and maybe many of you haven't. But if you could imagine that, what would it be like to be incarcerated and would you still be able to maintain your joy? Or would that shake it and obliterate it? Let me give you the second test that Paul faced. Is it opposition proof? So people stood against Paul and arrested him and the government came down on him and he faced all this injustice. And then outside of the prison, other people took that as a great opportunity to stir up trouble for him because he was in a weak position. And so they, they were out there competing with him and, and trying to replace him and make his name forgotten outside the prison. Would that shake your joy? That kind of opposition. Most of the world ganging up on you. Let me give you the last one that Paul faced. Paul said, I'm the potential was there for him to be sentenced to death. So is your, is your source of joy death sentence proof? And death sentences come in different forms, we know. 
Is that death sentence proof? Say, man, oh, death. Death would totally take away what I get my joy from. Death would totally obliterate it, eliminate it. Well, then it's something that's unshakable because Paul said, you know what? I'm here to bring glory to God. I'm here to, to make a big deal about God with my life. And God can even use my death to do that. So because for me to live is Christ, that's what he said, and to die is gain, I'll, be, you know, I'll serve Christ in, through my death and then be with him afterwards, I'm sort of conflicted. Either is good. I don't know which one to choose. He had confidence and purpose in his life because of this unshakable joy. So in chapter 1, he talks about how life and happiness and joy is about spreading the message of Jesus. And then in chapter 2, he talks about how life is about serving in humility, serving other people in humility like Jesus did. And then in chapter 3, he talks about how life is all about knowing Jesus personally. Oh, everything he had in his life, his great education, his great family background, his prestige in the community of, of, of the nation where he lived. He said, man, compared to knowing Christ, it's like it's garbage by comparison. I want to know Jesus. I want to know God. And then in chapter 5, he just reminds us, find your joy here. Revisit this source of joy regularly. And that's what leads us into the word always. How often do you revisit your joy source? So you say, okay, I'm rejoicing in God. I mean, there's something. I get something out of that. Chapter 2 in Philippians talks about if you have any encouragement from being in relationship with God and any comfort from his love. If you've got those things in your life, it's a sign that you're, you're drawing joy from relationship with God. Really good stuff. Uh, so how often do you revisit your joy source? When I read the word rejoice, I thought rejoice. Like re means again, right? And I didn't go into a big word study, but I just sort of thought it almost reminds you that you've got to keep coming back. You've got to make that a priority. Right? If, you're, if, you're, if, you tra- if your great source of joy was a sports team, but you never checked the scores... Over time, you'd sort of, oh yeah, I used to be a fan of, many of you have experienced that diminishing value in your life. Nothing wrong about that. It's a pretty shakable thing, especially the riders. Right? (laughs) That's shakable. But when your source of joy is unshakable like God, you can keep coming back and keep receiving and growing. And it's not your joy. The thing is, I think sometimes we are, uh, we're satisfied with too little joy and happiness in our lives when God is meant for our lives to explode with joy. Is that, you think, I think sometimes the conception is God is a killjoy. God doesn't really want me to be happy. When God is interested in your long-term joy and your greatest joy, so it's like, we act like children do to their parents. We, like, you know, my kids are pretty good, and I won't tell any stories because we have a rule in our house if I tell a story about my kids, I owe them money. So anyway, I won't tell any stories because I can't afford it. But basically, imagine some children in some house somewhere, and they didn't like the discipline being handed out by their parents. No, you can't eat any more cotton candy. No, you, you, you've had enough, that's it. You can't have any more. But I only want to eat cotton candy for the rest of my life. Ah, oh, come on, kid, okay, no big deal. No, we don't do that. Even if our kids whine and complain and 
don't like it. Why do we do that? Because we want their long-term joy. And a life filled with only eating sugar does not lead to long-term joy. In fact, in about 20 minutes, we'll find that out. But we respond sometimes as adults, very childish ways, not childlike, which the Bible says is good, but childish ways to God, where it's sort of like God saying, you know, I want this for your life, and I want this good thing in your life, and, and uh, I don't want that in your life. It's going to hurt you long term, and I, I desi- God desires for us to be full of joy in relationship with him. And so we're hanging on to the thing he wants to take out of our lives, knowing that if it's removed from our lives, it'll bring us incredible great joy. Like, no, I don't want to let this go. If I don't have this, I won't be happy. And God's like, you've got a 20-minute window with this. This is the cotton candy of your life. But you don't understand how once this is removed and I fill up those empty spots in your life with me, you'll have the deep joy that you think this other thing will bring. So today, as we, we draw a thing to a close, I want to talk about the always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Give thanks in everything. Make your petitions and prayers to God. Trade off anxiety for peace through this process. I read a commentator. He just said it this way about the always. Rejoice in the Lord always. This is a repetition of the exhortation in the previous preceding chapter with the addition always. For there's always cause and matter for rejoicing in Christ, even in times of affliction, distress, and persecution. Since he's always the same, his grace is always sufficient, his blood has continual virtue in it, and always speaks for peace and pardon, his righteousness is an everlasting one, and so is his salvation, and such is his love. Why can we come back to God always and find joy? Fresh, new, resounding, heart-satisfying joy? As he's unshakably consistent, he is always there for us. You want to stand with me? I'm going to pray for you, and then we've got a real treat for you afterwards. Treat for me, maybe, too. Lord, I thank you for this congregation of people that everyone has come today. I know that every time we come together, boy, we're at a totally different places in life, and I thank you for that. Uh, I thank you for every person who's just um, uh, checking out this environment, maybe checking out church, maybe haven't even turned the corner to thinking about you, Jesus, and, 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 and the, your desire to have relationship with them. Lord, I I just pray for the ones who are there, bless them. I pray for happiness and joy in their lives. Obviously, God, I'd love to see them walking with you, to know the love that you have for them. But I pray you'd bless them this week in incredible ways. Lord, I pray for people who um, are just starting out in this journey. They just cross that line of faith where they say, God, I trust you. Lead me. And uh, they're, they're experiencing some of those early wonder and excitement of, of following you. Lord, I pray you just strengthen them and encourage them and help them as they go forward. And God, I pray for people who've they've walked with you uh, years and years and years, some maybe many decades. Lord, would you re-fire our joy in you? Lord, we know we have a responsibility to, to revisit that, revisit you as the source of our joy. Lord, I pray for times in prayer... Uh, 
Lord, where you would do the work that leads to long-term joy. And I know that sometimes that involves tears and it's struggle and difficulty. But Lord, would we, would we find, uh, um, would you provide, Lord? I guess you've got to provide the will for us to surrender to you. So help us in that. And Lord, we pray for times of prayer where it would lead to uproarious laughter and smiles and uh, fist pumps because we get to realize what we have in you, the treasure that you are. And so, God, I pray for uh, great joy to well up within us. Thank you for uh, the testimony of Paul and Christians throughout the centuries. Thank you for Christians in the Middle East who are demonstrating to us what it means like to have joy in the face of death today. Thank you that this is real. This is substantial. This is tangible. We can lay hold of it, and uh, you make it available to anyone who comes to you. So we just praise you today, and thank you so much for that in your name. Amen.